Welcome back to episode 179 of the Blockrunner podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. Another way to stay up to date is by signing up to our newsletter at theblockrunner.com. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Ironman, and joining us today are Randy and Josh from Ordinal's Wallet. Here are some of the topics we discussed today. First up, Randy and Josh go into their origin story on how they got into the Web3. Next, dive into the challenges posed by Ethereum fees and the need to stay on Layer 1. Then, discussing the potential of ordinals to revolutionize the market. And finally, a timeline of events that ensued after the release of the Runes proposal. Alright, let's listen in. Welcome back to another episode of the Block Runner Podcast. I'm your host, William, always here with your co-host, I Man. What's going on, dude? And on the sticks, we got TJ. Hello. And finally, we've been wanting to talk to the people behind Ornos Wallet. We got Randy, co-founder. The and legends, we, dude. Yeah. And people we got, is an understatement. And <laughs> also, we got Josh, a.k.a. Elon Moist, co-founder and CEO of Ornos Wallet. Thank what you a, for joining us. What a name, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic name, dude. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you guys have been making a lot of uh, a lot of noise. I mean, and we've been following you guys. We've been obviously yeah. as soon as we discovered BRC twenties, we immediately put out like a like how to onboard into the ecosystem of BRC twenties video, and then of course it's like Ordinal's Wallet and Unisat. That was pretty much like yeah <laughs> the go tos. Yeah, and so we got deeply ingrained into your your platform, right? And then we've seen it develop as we've been developing, and we saw. How you guys pretty much embrace almost everything as much as you can, and you guys are f- like you have, a, you have a pace of delivery I've never seen before. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and we're kind of envious a little bit. Me we're personally, jealous. I'm like, damn, dude, how are you guys pulling this off? It's crazy. And uh, I think a lot of it probably has to do with like your background, because yeah. you have like some you have a lot of experience developing with this type of technology that Bitcoin, I guess, uh, that has ingrained within it. You know, the UTXOs and all this stuff, right? So, can you guys just break down like your origin, your history, what you know, your how you've been involved in Bitcoin or Ethereum, whatever. Just yeah, what's up and, with BSV and dude? BSV? Yeah, yeah. Randy, you got to go first. You got to segue into me, okay? Okay, okay. Um, go back from the beginning. Well, I, how did it all happen? Yeah, it's a really <laughs> long story, boys. Um, but I got into I got into Bitcoin in 2017. I was an graphic designer and art director in an advertising agency in Manhattan at the time. And I was taking a class at the school of visual arts. And one of the classes was a branding class. So he said, do a brand for anything you want. So I I came up with this app idea, uh, but really it was just a brand. I I like had this really cool logo. It was like this weasel. It's up on my dribble and stuff. Um, And, but there was an idea behind it. And I reached out to this, app development company called Celiflora, which was Josh's thing. It was a cold email on, through a contact form and it was Josh on the other line. And so we had this discussion about how to make my app real. And he was giving me advice. He had already had this uh, software development firm going. And yeah, he asked me about Bitcoin and I said, oh no, I don't have any time for, for Bitcoin. I don't, <laughs> I'm not interested in that. But um, at the same time, a friend of mine from college reached out to me about Bitcoin and people knew I was entrepreneurial. I had a couple of side businesses going at the time. And then one of my friends from growing up reached out to me about Bitcoin. I said, okay, like this is a sign. Let me 
get into this. And when I looked into it, I kind of am extremely interested in Bitcoin as like a, an immutable ledger of information and like experience and, and memory, um, a historical archive. And so I, I wrote Josh this really long email and he responded, hey, you should join the Crypto Aquarium, which was at the time the biggest crypto telegram group. And I bought my first little bit of Bitcoin, ETH um, and Litecoin or something. And, uh, and yeah, from there, we did, I started doing projects on Ethereum immediately. Like I, I got into this crypto aquarium. I got really involved. My Twitter started blowing up. I got like a retweet from Naval Ravikant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was like, you know, and I was really engaged on Twitter because I was all day at my advertising agency on the computer. And it was like, it was as if, you know, you, you send your, your designs off to the client they don't come back to you for a month so i would have like a month of like just pretending to be working because i'm like i have to go into the office and be at the computer and i was just spending all my time on twitter and like doing logos for people in the crypto aquarium like i did icebergies profile picture um and like a ton of other stuff but that one's probably the most he's probably the most popular influencer that i did a a logo for um, and then I got involved in a, in Ethereum projects. We did crypto all-stars on ETH. We did Pepe DAP. And then, uh, those both were pretty big, um, projects. And then it, ETH dumped to like 89 bucks in mm. 2018, 2019. Yep. And we had no interest in these projects, these NFT projects anymore. Um, and we were getting called scammers like crazy for doing experimenting with NFTs. It was like, Back then, it was brutal. Yeah, um, you couldn't do NFTs back then. It hadn't reached this mainstream level that it is now, um, and so anybody who did do NFTs back then was just called out as like a total scammer, stealing everybody's coins, whatever. Um, but we were really just interested in experimenting with blockchain tech. Um, and right around that time, I was hired by Honey Miner and to run their marketing. At this point, I had blown up on Twitter. My projects were blowing up and Honey Miner reached out to me. They were a funded startup. I don't know if you guys are familiar. They had, uh, it was like a consumer facing uh, mining. Like you could just download the software to your Mac and and be mining Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they reached out to me, I said, yeah, I'll do it, but I won't do it without Josh. I really wanted to work with Josh and we had been, you know, doing projects here and there together. Um, and he, and like, you know, we have a really good partnership going where we fill in each other's, uh, gaps in terms of like abilities and, and ways of thinking. And, uh, and so, yeah, we did honey miner together and right around the time that honey miner was being purchased, uh, we started Twitch mm-hmm. and Twitch was really great. It blew up. There was like this whole mystery behind what it was and what it was going to be. And then, so we had like 10,000 followers before we even launched a product. And then we launched, it was this massive thing. We couldn't even keep up. We had to hire customer support people because in the beginning, in order to make a Twitch account, you first had to make a money button account. Mm-hmm. Similar to like, in order to like have an account on Magic Eden, you have to have uh, a Unisat or a, or a Phantom Wallet or whatever. Um, you had to have this money button, but the, the process was so much more convoluted back then. And so we had to walk hundreds and thousands of people through like the signup process. Uh, so that was really fun and Twitch blew up and then we did Twitch marketplace 
And so we did pretty well there. We did a bunch of physical NFTs, like a hundred hats, and then the hats were numbered mm-hmm. um, and they had an NFT on the marketplace, but they were also physical. Um, and then Ordinals came out in February and it was kind of like a saving grace because Twitch growth, you know, this is like how many years into the bear market, the growth was, was not what we had expected it to be after a few years in business, three, two, three years in business yeah. with Twitch. We thought it was really going to be huge. And then Elon takes over Twitter mm. and all of a sudden that this whole appeal for a Twitter alternative that isn't going to ban you and that you can make money through is all of a sudden like Elon's just going to do that on Twitter. Yeah. So Ordinals comes out. We jumped right on it. I bought up all these domains. I got all the Twitter handles that I wanted. Um, I made the brand and I just set up a, a quick card.co email signup form. And we had like 200,000 email signups within like a week. So we knew that we had something here. Um, and so the rest is history. We've just been building on ordinals. Mm-hmm. Did you know that we're more than just a YouTube channel? We also built Mscribe, the first inscription platform built from the ground up for the metaverse on Bitcoin. Connect your bitmap ordinals and use our tools to bring your community into the virtual realm. Support us by joining the movement at mscribe.io. Like, comment, and subscribe for the latest alpha. Back to the video. Josh, you got to explain the Elon Moist name, dude. Uh, yeah, well, it fits pretty good. Um, I guess starting, you know, all the way back to sort of the genesis block of where I'm at now was um, probably 2000, I want to say... Thir- maybe 13, 14, as early as that, really 2015, I think was like, I was sort of all in on this concept of uh, Bitcoin while I was, I, I pretty much been like unemployed or self-employed mm-hmm. um, since I went to university at Purdue. I, I sort of figured out how to pay the rent by making WordPress websites, um, sure. mm-hmm. roll that into um, like full service offerings of like a real company um, and then started doing full stack app development, mostly iOS apps, but everything really. Um, and that was all consulting and brand studio. And I kind of paired up with some local guys and we built a pretty strong team. And, and like Randy said, that's how he found me is sort of through some of these apps that we were making on the side. Um, and so I was basically consulting to fund, self-fund mm-hmm. um, side projects. And around that time or a little bit before that time, uh, me and a few friends, uh, discovered Bitcoin. And, and I kind of instantly was, you know, the, the famous line in my head, at least was like, it's PayPal with computers. You know, I've been through some, like, I got scammed on eBay once and I, you know, learned the chargeback the hard way. And um, it pretty much immediately, I was like, okay, this is going to be big. All the friends and fraternity brothers and all that were calling me crazy. Later, mm-hmm. they call contact me say, I'm sorry. Um, but anyways, we, I, around that time, I also stopped using my personal Twitter. I think I might've created point using about 2017. So there's some time in there where I was just myself. And then I started to see the uh, crypto Twitter develop around that time. It, it was right around 16, 17, 2016, 2017. And um, I created the character. Uh, really the original concept was uh coin easy. And that was like Coinye West. It was like, <laughs> if you guys remember that. Yeah. And that was like funny because they got sued. And I, it was just kind of being like riffing off of that. Um, and uh, ironically, uh, Randy here, he's a, he's taught me a lot about Twitter. 
um, since these moments, but I'm the one that kind of dragged him into the crypto Twitter. So I was like, Hey, you got to get on Bitcoin, you know, first off, second off, you got to join this telegram was really blowing up with crypto stuff. And I was like, you have to have a Twitter, you know, and we kind of started off and he immediately just like went from like zero to like 40,000 followers. I've been much more of like a slow, steady grow, Mm. you know, um, I I think I have like 33 or something. And Um, so Randy really took off and he knew how to like explode onto the scene, which is really his specialty. Um, so around that, and then a little bit after that, um, so we kind of, I was always kind of like a Bitcoin guy. I was interested in Ethereum. I was around, uh, knew about the ICO, uh, had some early Ethereum tokens, kind of understanding what that is. I knew about counterparty. I knew about colored coin, um, and these concepts that could tokenize stuff. So I was already pretty well, like. I had all of this in my memory bank about like what we could do uh, with Bitcoin or or whatever. Really, at the time, I was pretty open minded. Um, I always was trying to figure out ways to do the stuff on Bitcoin, um, which I was running into a lot of uh, walls for like seven years on that. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, Billy and I just keep in touch. We're talking about every business idea you can think of. <clears throat> we start connecting with other entrepreneurs that are doing other stuff, um, and we start launching. But really, at the time, there wasn't a standard uh, for NFTs. They weren't even called NFTs. We were just calling them uh, trading cards on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and that's about the time I launched the Elon Moist. We launched a card on um, on Pepe DAP. It's a Pepe cards on Ethereum instead of Counterparty. Um, and it really did well in its time for like, I don't know, like 12 months, you know. And we were doing all these themes of like characters, um, every type of character you can think of, John McCafe, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. We were like turning them into Pepe's and Elon uh, Musk was in a Pepe and he was Elon Moist. And that was kind of like, all of that was kind of happening at once. And we were just like, basically not sleeping and uh, working our like side jobs, consulting, whatever it was. But this was really becoming our main thing at that point. That's really in retrospect what was happening. Um, so you know, I had started out um, just kind of doing your consulting work, hustling, figuring out, knocking on doors, getting customers, making websites, making apps. We did, uh, I don't know uh, where you guys are from, but in the Midwest, there's a big company called JD by Rider. They're basically like car sharks. They like sell cars at high interest rates. Well, I, I was developing um, just by chance. One of my employees went and got a job there and um, I was developing their inventory app where they could scan VIN scan and it would give them like live reports and an auction, like how to buy, what price to buy a car, what, what was the history, all this kind of put in one. Okay. Um, so that was like my big kind of catch in terms of like, I finally had a business that was like paying all the bills, but I could really start to focus all this kind of jumbled up into one big fun experiment um, right around the time I met Randy. So we took that and we've been basically parlaying all of our businesses and concepts into like the next thing. And each one's kind of getting bigger and bigger as we go mm. over the last few years. Um, and I guess that one thing I would want to mention that um, Randy missed is that it wasn't so much for me, the price of Ethereum crashing, but we were like probably the first guys besides crypto kitties, I would say that figured out Ethereum fees could just essentially bankrupt your business model if you wanted to do anything under 20 bucks. Yeah. Because as soon as Pepe cards really picked up, these fees were five, 10, $20. Mm-hmm. So we would have a $5 card, go to Minted that day. Maybe we have a thousand customers. The fees were double the price of the card. Right. So we were just, you know, running into all the walls. We, at the time, and I was, I was probably the first, I would say pretty confidently that I was like 
telling the, our team, I was like, this is like, this isn't going to work, you know? Um, so we quickly, we, we quickly accepted that, um, which is funny because in retrospect, if we would just stuck with the NFT game, we would have been like really in front of everything on Ethereum, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it seems to be working out for us in our favor. Now um, we, I, I really started to spin off particularly on things like um, I looked at counterparty again. I already knew about that, but there wasn't a lot going on. Um, at that time, a token called Ravencoin launched, and I, my previous business partner was working for Overstock, um, which was connected to Medici and Medici's guys like Bruce Fenton and um, Tron. Uh, what's I forget his name? Something crazy like Tron Black or something's his name. But uh, they launched this Ravencoin, and what it was was a fork of Bitcoin with tokens on it that used GPU mining, and. We were doing Honey Miner. We were super into GPU mining. I was totally for like years now, like obsessed with this idea that we could run operating systems, computers, uh, the internet. We could do anything on Bitcoin. Um, and Ravencoin like like brought that back into my my head. So um, we roll that Honey Miner, blah blah blah. We go through those phases, and then we get into Twitch, and that's where we touched on this BSV concept. And all BSV really is is like sort of like a BTC with like no restriction. Um, mm -hmm. There's no like, they, they like, they kept all the old features that Satoshi had. And then they like try to like lift all the limits. Um, mm -hmm. And we never really cared about like the politics of it. We were just kind of like, oh, we finally found this system that's going to do what we, that it says, because we kept running into all these walls, whether it was this chain or that chain, there was just like always some catch. Um, and with BSV, the technology was amazing and we really thrived on the technology, but ultimately the market was really rough. It uh, has like a terrible PR problem with sort of like people that are like highly invested in it. Um, so we always had to battle that instead. So we finally found the technology, but it wasn't like a market like Ethereum uh, or BTC where it's just amazing. You know, like the people are, are very active. There's lots of liquidity. There's lots of things happening. People are interested in trying new stuff. Um, and along came ordinals. Uh, we were in Texas at the time. I was about to head off um, to take my my family on our first family ski trip, and uh, ordinals popped up like the day before that. And I basically sent it to Harry, our dev, and said, "You got to get on this." I think that's exactly what I said. And um, I went on a ski trip, and I think three days later, like the the business, the product, and everything had been basically launched. Uh, by Billy and it just went crazy. Um, and another fun fact that I'm pull, uh, riffing off of Randy here is that uh, at, we actually had BRC20.com, we still own it. We got that from our time working on Twitch and Twitch Marketplace. Hmm. And we were already conceiving these concepts of running tokens on Bitcoin. No matter what the Bitcoin, BTC, BCH, BIT, we didn't really, I personally don't really care or think about it that way. I kind of think about it like Bitcoin as like the system, whatever one kind of works the best is going to win. Right. Um, but we had already like acquired that and had that in hand uh, before the BRC20 concept came up oh. in ordinals. So um, we have been far ahead of the game for like many years. I mean, we really were living off of ramen for like, <laughs> you know, a solid three, four years. And we were able to just like stay the course, stay in the game keep innovating it in every aspect that we could control on our side. And when ordinals came, it just kind of brought the air back into everything and really gave us the validation we needed as entrepreneurs to say, we aren't crazy. We've been working in the right direction for a really long time now. 
without any sort of validation from other people mm-hmm. other than our, our customer base that we had built up. Um, you know, Twitch is a success in its own right and it still exists today. Um, but now things have changed to where we have to really go back and rethink like what we learned from that and what mm-hmm. we learned from Ordinal's wallet and what those two things can kind of be in the future, uh, hint, hint. Um, but there's sort of, that's sort of like the past, um, you know, the present and the future right there in our story and how, how I started, how Billy and uh, Randy started and, and sure. kind of where we're at now. So what was it exactly about uh, BSV in, in terms of like the development capability that you guys decided to kind of, was it the the difference between like you had a project on Ethereum, it was basically $5 per NFT and then the fees just, you, you knew the fees would just like kill the business. Was it that the reason why you went um, to BSV? No, no, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't say that was the final thing because you could cope with the fees and charge higher and all it's bad right. business in terms of like the economics long-term and all that. It's not really like providing like more throughput and all that, but it was the concept of putting data on chain. Okay. That really, really hooked us. We yeah. always yeah. wanted to do the data on the chain. Okay. And that was like the thing that we've been fishing for and we finally hit it. You know, we hooked it. Yes. Go ahead. We, yeah. We really, we really didn't really want to work build on ethereum we wanted to build on bitcoin and every time we would come up with this really cool idea for something that would work really well on bitcoin it would always be like well you can't do that on btc you can't do that you're not allowed it's spam whatever everybody would always even just putting the concepts out on twitter and stuff um would always get met with this crazy backlash and back then the the laser eye maxis no building on bitcoin allowed was like the main narrative um but yeah, so any opportunity to build on Bitcoin was our, like, we were interested in that right away. And then when you go to, when you look at BSV, it scales, fees are like fractions of a penny. You could split up a single penny, like over a thousand mm. people in a single transaction, you know? So all of that stuff, the micro payments, the data on the blockchain, you know, so somewhat immutable data, um, uh, it was very enticing to us, and it was already concepts that we had come up with for building on Bitcoin, and then all of a sudden, you could do it. Um, that was pretty cool. So what's what's the development ecosystem differences like between BSV and Bitcoin? Like, what are the trade-offs that you've had to make between building on, on both chains? Well, in, B- in BSV, we had to do everything. There was no real, like, there was no really competitive, there was, there's like one or two other sort of entrepreneurial groups or people uh that are doing stuff that are interesting um where on btc it's like every day is like action hmm. uh ordinals right yeah and people build stuff so we're leveraging other people's and what they're doing and how productive and like the good things they make the rc20 is an example or like certain indexers Bitmap. or like systems yeah. map a great example yeah. we're, we're leveraging that now and we're like collaborating on a, a much bigger scale i see yeah i would say the difference is that on the one hand we had to build everything versus like josh just said we had to build everything over there versus we're able to leverage other developments on BTC now, which is a a benefit, but from the user experience perspective, like the, the BSV chain had like settle instant settlements and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was very different. There was no fee selection. Mm -hmm. There was no um, issue with like, you know, for example, BRC 20, where you have to inscribe and then wait for the, Mm -hmm. the, um, 
inscription to come in after it gets mined. Everything was instant. A lot more like the way that you'll see Solana working now, where it's like you could just move and go and be fast. Yeah. And that was definitely one of the hurdles with Bitcoin. So the, the plus side was it, moving to BTC was is that the development ecosystem is much more robust and flourishing. And then the, the, the downside is like the the hurdles that you have to go through with the with the um the scaling caps and stuff like that yeah though no, there's like the from a pure like production standpoint there's just like if you can imagine like two different factories like the btc ordinals factory has got like hoops and loops and yeah. speed bumps and all kinds of like things tied together with tape um in terms of like how you get it out but, um, and, you know, sort of the reality of, of all of this is that that still is like adding, that's still more valuable, you know, at sure. this current time. And, you know, we're just types of people who don't have to have like a, this, this sort of political bias. We just really want to um, grow as much as possible, learn as much as possible, have as, service as many customers as possible. Sure. So you have to make trade for that um short-term and long-term trades and and uh ultimately like you know we haven't it's not just like financially gaining it's like all of the knowledge of like working with now thousands of customers every day instead of hundreds of customers every day that's like a that's the biggest value that we basically have gotten from the btc ordinals ecosystem i would say um so sure. you know it's just it's sort of like it's just uh apples to apples really there it's all about like you can have a perfect system, um, but if like you can't actually service customers on that system, mm. then use what you can do is go ahead and and put your time and energy elsewhere and try to like get as really good at servicing your customers and and as knowledgeable as possible about what a perfect system should be. Mm -hmm. While you like you know, and then if that bridge ever comes, we we'd be perfectly fine, kind of going where we need to go, whether that's ethereum or bsv or btc or whatever mm -hmm. we have our minds in the right places to do that so that's like sort of like abstractly that's what we need to accomplish right so what is it about bitcoin that has gravitated you know has has the gravity to pull people and to have like an ecosystem of developers building you know bitmaps brc20s things like that what is it about bitcoin that has enabled that rather than it's happening on bsv or any other chain it's i would it's say the uh, it's the number one market cap coin yeah, yeah. it's got the brand mm -hmm. it's got it's the brand. brand okay so the that provenance it's like you don't have everyone that's the first place everyone goes to like experience this new world yeah and i think that people don't really talk about this as much i know leonidas is pretty big on this but the historical nature of like the you can leverage the history of Bitcoin by using ordinals in a way that you can't do on any other chain because there really is no history in that same way. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from the inception, the white paper, the, the first block, you know, and those coins are gone. And then, you know, like things that happen throughout history, like Silk Road, and, and then we have all these rare sats because of all that stuff. You guys don't have that narrative, uh, that history, and that conversation on any other chain, at least not in this, in the same way. That's so, uh, sure. Enticing. Don't you think that we're going to run into the same problem that you guys ran into with Ethereum with fees as soon as like the bull run happens and 
It's, yeah, so like, yeah. Look, if you want to do a mint on BTC for $20 and the the quality of the images is you're talking, if you want to do $20 mint, you're talking at least $20, but upwards to like $1,000 for the fees. Mm-hmm. So it it's like, it's going to, if you want to do an NFT mint, a successful NFT mint, you really have to take into account lowering the quality of your artwork mm. in exchange for having an affordable price. Whereas with other chains like Solana and BSV, you don't have that problem. It's free to mint on the fee side. Uh, and then the, the person who does the art and, and the people who help them uh, develop out that project and, and launch that project, they they get to keep the money that's paid for these yeah. Yeah. art. It's basically I mean, it's, like... Um, it's like the way I see it, it's like being very objective and like harsh is like you get taxed on BTC before you ever like make money. It's like the Soviet Union. And then like Solana and BSV are like, you know, Singapore and America, you know, and mm-hmm. like it sounds really funny because the sort of public like opinion is the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like the propaganda machine is like taught everybody otherwise. Yeah. But when you come in there to do business yeah. and look at the system and you say, I want this, you know, this machine or this machine, it, there's no comparison. It's just like, that's the reality of the situation. There's like a tax involved, there's government, there's a big government involved, uh, both with the BTC core and with the ordinals. Um, and, you know, our job as the sort of industrialist of all this is to try to navigate that as wisely as possible, try to, you know, help even guide them at times um, like recently with the inscription number dilemma, like what they're going to change the numbers of these NFTs on sure. BTC, right? The ordinals, you know, my, my, I'm, we immediately took the opportunity and, and thanks to Randy really encouraged me to like go and say what we really believed was the right thing. And, and my take was particularly like, do nothing, just leave it as it is. We need to spend time and energy elsewhere. And that's, and that's pretty much what's happening right now. As of like, even the last two days that's come out yeah. from the ord, ord core team. Sure. So, you know, we have to navigate everything as wisely as possible to stay in the game, to try to keep growing, try to keep moving forward. We have to pick our battles. We can't win everything all the time. We have to try to move this stuff forward like one step at a time. So we're just trying our best to like use our judgment and do that. Yeah. So I only have one more question and kind of in regards to like development and kind of background stuff is um, you, you were talking about if you have like a high resolution image and you wanted to inscribe that it would be very expensive, but what about the scenario where the bull run happens and there's a hundred thousand transactions with very small images, right? You know, very low resolution images, that congestion, isn't that enough to where like it really puts a stop to most businesses on Bitcoin? Yes. Yeah. It might. Yeah. Uh, I would say that, uh, we saw we saw recently a like a two percent to five percent little run up to thirty k on Bitcoin and ordinals went crazy. I will I, I would predict if I was going to be making a prediction here that if there's a big bull run and fees are insane, you're going to see a lot more ordinals purchases and trades mm. than you're going to see inscriptions, which is what you're seeing now. I Everyone's see. inscribing yeah. right now. Sure. I would agree with that. Interesting. Okay. That's basically- I would say like in terms of the fee, like. Um, we did see this already. The reason I say it's a firm yes in terms of like it's going to like halt the economy is when BRC20 came out, everybody's going crazy over it and, it and it essentially like halted the economy for like two days. You know, there was just not any more inscriptions happening until things like calmed down. So it basically created like a JPEG 
like bread line and people had to stop and it was too crowded and too crazy to get the bread and so on. So that will definitely happen. Um, but I do believe Randy's correct in his assumption that like, as like, if the market cap overall, uh, BTC is increasing, then there'll be more like trading of the assets themselves. Um, yeah. just sort of people like moving in and out of positioning, you know, they've created, they have so much like capital gain on their asset that they're like willing to take sure. different risk now. And that, that will definitely, that'll definitely play out. I think. Yeah. Do you think the likelihood of, like, I guess the infrastructure, I guess, mi migrating more towards, uh, I guess a layer two discussion. Cause we saw this happen play out in Ethereum. Yeah, that was my next question. We experienced it ourselves with our own platform. Yeah. We had a, a solid little business going. And then as soon as like all of NFTs yeah. as a sector became mainstream, you know, we built little games in Decentraland where, you know, people, where there are microtransactions that, that people can kind of participate within and quickly no longer do they become feasible to even like attempt because of the fee. The fees dilemma. were more expensive. So us as developers, we were forced to quickly, I guess, uh, adopt these layer two mm -hmm. providers, right? Uh, Polygon specifically. So. I already see the conversations and the narratives forming. And I think Casey Rodimer's like re-entrance in the space was, was kind of like focused around this with drive chains. And then mm -hmm. now he's trying to come up with like kind of offload some of the, the inefficiencies that exist with BRC20. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, given all this, I guess the, the focus is everybody's aware and everybody can kind of like see this dilemma coming, this meteor about to strike. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen no matter what. So do you think, the infrastructure can be solved in time or is it all just going to end up on stacks? Cause I think it feels like stacks is positioned. It's a big stack psyop in there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one, could, one could easily like come to that conclusion. Um, yeah. I've been following stacks for a really long, I was an early investor in stacks. This is a disclaimer. I, I don't, I don't have any association with it now, but um, I went to like the first stacks Berlin event. I was living there at the time. Block, um, block stack. Block stack. Block it was called the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've been following this play for a long time. Uh, I will say that the Rune, the Rune token protocol, despite like the or ordinal core like group team like having like kind of rug pulling like the initial wave of that excitement, yeah. it buys us some time. It's like more, it's leaning into more like efficient Bitcoin token system. Um, and I do think that the next way, like, so Rune's going to play out. And then the next thing will be like, you know, I think that one last like push or like puff of the cigar, like lightning, like a lightning network, you know, at, Bitcoin's going to have a run most likely. We, I think we're all kind of assuming that when that happens, fees go up and that's the perfect opportunity for everyone to advertise as best as they can, this lightning network solution, it's waiting for its day. Mm -hmm. So they're going to have like one last go at that. Um, and then after that, and now the timeline of this, I'm I'm not totally sure on. Maybe it's one year, maybe it's five, maybe it's ten. But after that, then we go back to we have like sort of these old core like core and uh core devs. They're getting old, they're retired, they made their new wave money. And we're gonna go back to talking about the real problem at hand, and that's the underlying system. It's been changed so many times, it's become so inefficient, they've made bad changes to it. Um, that's becoming objectively true through the expressions of ordinals and the user experience of ordinals and our experience as a business on B BTC ordinals. Um, all of this is becoming like, we don't have to go tell people this. They can see it, experience it. They understand it. They're getting that firsthand knowledge of like how bad 
or like inefficient or however you want to say this, mm-hmm. I just call it bad. Um, the system underlying is, and then we can make adjustments there. And these adjustments don't have to be some like shell shocking change. It's, it's just a matter of like, we can uh, double the block space or we can evaluate again, like more in- innovations and in using uh, more efficient, you know, code to like do the tokens. That's what basically run is doing. Right. Um, but a rune, sorry, rune. Now rune is like coming back more to BTC. Once we have the problem of the high fees, then the lightning network, which is not BTC at all. Uh, you're just going off the ledger will like be the big sell, but ultimately we know everyone's desires to use Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be on Bitcoin. Everyone understands the value. As soon as you have your first experience with Bitcoin, you really truly do understand it and yeah, like, at least and- the power of it without being able to explain it sometimes. And that's what people are going to, it's going to play out that way in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I wrote a thread about um, layer two and side chains um, and about how they re- they really don't work. Um, and it's not necessarily because they don't work in the technology. It's because they create an added layer and complication on the experience side. Um, and ultimately, the users don't want to have to understand how everything works in order to use it. They don't want to use Bitcoin by using X chain and then go back to Bitcoin. Nobody wants to do that. And that's the that's why Solana and Ethereum and layer one chains are so successful and why Polygon and whatever other lightning network and other side chains and, and twos are unsuccessful. There's a reason for that. And it's because the user experience is not ideal. And the ideal user experience is easy to understand. I'm using Bitcoin to trade NFTs, for example. That's a very simple concept and you don't really have to think too hard about it. Now, the reason why you do have to think really hard about it right now with regards to UTXOs and network fees and congestion, if you don't understand uh, the Bitcoin block si- the block space is capped and that's why fees are so high and you know we need to understand utxos in order to like make transactions mm-hmm. um often like you don't need to have any of this stuff built in the system you can make the system way more efficient and way more simple and by doing so you will have an experience that is easy to understand and widely adopted now um yeah i guess that's that's basically the end of i, I gotta tell a story here because this is like too relevant not to share but I was in Miami uh, Bitcoin Ordinals conference at the same time the Bitcoin Magazine big conference is going on. So I was at both. I was speaking at the Ordinals conference um, at, from, as Ordinal, Ordinals wallet. Um, go to the BTC conference. Our good friends are the founders of the Bitcoin ATMs, BTC ATM. I think they just yeah. rebranded to that. Uh, Bitstop formerly. Um, they have their, their ATMs both BTC, but they're creating a lightning one. Mm-hmm. And these guys are bit real Bitcoin guys. You know, they want to use Bitcoin, but they're creating a lightning one and they're, they're going through the concept. They're getting people to come to the booth and try it out. And I believe it's David Bailey of, of Bitcoin Magazine. Um, he's there with me and, and we get introduced through my friend, Drew, who's the founder of this Bitcoin ATM company. And uh, we start to talk about, you know, hey, he's basically saying, hey, sorry, we didn't have you come and talk. At this conference, is there had a big fallout with all the people, whether ordinals is good or bad. There's all this drama going on, and he's basically, hey, you can't, but you you can't come and talk at this event because you know you might say something like, we need to change the protocol or, or the blocks need to be right. bigger or X Y Z, and um, 
I had a little fun with that. Um, long story short, um, we go, I asked him, you know, is lightning Bitcoin? Um, and his answer was yes. I made it after a long time. He took a while, but I finally got him to say yes. We walk over to the ATM and the lightning ATM. We go through the experience of buying it, which is already like added steps and confusion. I, I looked directly to the people working the booth at the ATM. And I said, after we did it all, and I said, now is, is this Bitcoin? And they said, no. Mm-hmm. So this people, they're making a lightning network ATM, right? For these lightning points, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, so I went through this whole sort of 15 minute back and forth with someone who had a strong opinion about it. And then we went into a real life example with a real business, with real customers. They have hundreds of thousands or even millions of customers. You got to call and ask them. They're big. And I said, is this Bitcoin? And their answer is no. And that their customers have to go through extra steps to understand that it's not Bitcoin and that the early tests are basically giving them extra problems because of the confusion around the concept of what a lightning voucher is versus like getting a Bitcoin from the Bitcoin ATM. Mm-hmm. So that's a real life example. I don't have to make this up. It's not like some conspiracy. This is the reality of dealing with like these, all these like new, you know, sort of layer twos or, or whatever. You know, it's ultimately just companies trying to sell you their rails for the payment Um, and and the customers and the investors in Bitcoin, ultimately, whether they know it or not, they want to use Bitcoin. And that's what we've seen year after year. Every time we build a business, every time we offer a service, every time we launch a new idea or a new experiment, what happens is the more we offer a a Bitcoin native experience, the better off we do and the better the experience is going to be despite challenges on BTC. And Ordinals and the system itself, the, go use ordinalswallet.com. It's an amazing experience. You know, thanks to Randy here. It's like we really think about the customers and we really understand how to refine it, even with all the challenges that we have. And people want to use Bitcoin. So we're going to continue yeah. focusing and on that as, as, as long as we see that. Mm-hmm. I just want to make a last point on this sidechain and Lightning Network topic. And that is that imagine um, the Bitcoin core team had it, it, it would it be embracing ordinals right now, as opposed to the way that it is now, which is completely averse to the whole concept. Um, what would you end up with if you had a better experience and a more efficient system around ordinals is what you would have is a thriving market, uh, more interest in the market. The market is dictating the underlying technology in a way that is, uh, it's better for the customer and therefore it would it would be big news. Like it would be huge news to say, okay, ordinals is the majority of Bitcoin transactions. And so therefore we're going to take what these people want to use Bitcoin for seriously, and we're going to make it better for them. Mm -hmm. And the market will flourish. The economy will grow. And ultimately what you will end up with is more innovation, more real practical uses of Bitcoin, more use of Bitcoin in general, um, and more opportunities for people to come in, start new businesses, have success, um, and you know make a living in this ecosystem. And right now, all of that is capped by the Bitcoin core team saying, no, we don't like this. And right. so we're not going to think about it at all, and we're not going to help them at all. Not, not just that. They want to you know, remove it. They've made certain proposals to completely remove the idea. So it's gone. It's not just like ignoring it. It's gone as far as like proposing removing it and stopping it altogether. So, so I, I that's have a kind comment. of that's the risk of us doing business. We have to deal with these types of people. Right. So I have a comment slash question, but let me let me see if I can set this up. So 
we have history on Ethereum, like Iman was saying, building a business, and it quickly slowed down because of the fees. So, and, and with with our experience, we knew that a, a side chain would be our solution, right? So we we picked Matic and we went with Polygon, you, you know, that transition. Um, but but you guys went through a different experience than we did, right? With uh, BSV, with BSV, you guys saw that there is a main chain where you can sustain a business. The only difference was, was there wasn't a whole lot of people in BSV to really sustain thousands of people, right? As a business, right? But when you guys came to Bitcoin, there were thousands of people and they wanted to, you know, to, to buy, buy these ordinals and, and do inscriptions and all that. And you guys were, had a, had a business with hundreds of thousands of people now. So, so you're, you're basically suggesting that we can have like a very successful economy on top of Bitcoin if the, the underlying technology makes an update that sort of, and correct me if I'm wrong, that sort of mimics what BSV technically more does. More like, it's almost like um, removing problems more than it is like updating okay. or adding new, sure. right? Like I would, I, I, I personally look at it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, you could say it that way. Really, you know, we're looking at a situation that right now the biggest argument towards making any type of change um which we've been we're completely comfortable like saying we believe this change it will happen or, or whatever eventually anyways whether we're a part of it or not um it's it's the biggest thing is well we don't need it yet because we don't have that high of fees we don't have enough customers we don't have this and that sure yeah but the day we do we're gonna have a big problem right so like what's the number it's it's really the opportunities to play for keeps we can solve all the problems of all the blockchains if we just move the right direction with bitcoin mm. we don't have to really have all those things you know think about polygon who owns polygon you know one of the biggest criticisms yeah. of like solana bsv um and there's a number and polygon will be right here in the same table there's like who owns it who's who's the leaders of it who's well well i'll tell you right now that i would take a i would be willing to uh, put some chips on the table that like the Polygon system, or even a Solana system, you know, these things are IP developed by a company. If you go dig sure. far enough down the line, Absolutely. there's someone who owns it, someone who controls it, they're yeah. licensing it. They, you may be able to do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you know, MetaMask itself was the same concept and it's sold, right? It's, it's, it's sold, it's owned now. Uh, and yeah. it's just more clear about who owns it and so on. But that dream only can can exist for so long. Um, these things are being built for a reason, right? So I'm not even really against any of the stuff. I'm very pro like the competition of these experiments, um, just to be completely clear where I stand on this. But that's the reality. So, you know, in BTC has the same problem though, that it hasn't been commercialized, it's well distributed, which is the gift that BTC gave to the world is that anyone who came early could get it and so on. But it has controllers. There are people who control the keys to BTC. Yeah. You know, th there's, a, there's a GitHub and you have to, you can't get a hold of them to talk to them. Yeah. It's the worst customer service in the world. It's like, it's like really like this Kafka-esque novel. Like it's just playing out where you like can't actually get a hold of anyone. You can't actually get through the gate. You can't, you know, if you're asking permission, you're going to get nothing in return. That's what we experienced with with BTC. That's just the facts. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's not meant to make anybody happy or sad. It's just the reality of that situation. Yeah. Let's just be honest about that. And I think if we can be honest about that, 
and we just and it, this is becoming more of a theme with ordinals really bringing this to a head is like that then you know i'm a lot more comfortable just operating in that system as long as that we're aware of the system sure. what are the game sure. what's the game who's in control of the game who's making the rules let's just be clear about that and then we can exist in in harmony we don't have to have all this trouble we don't want trouble we want progress production people working people you know businesses people getting value from this right like that's the only way this actually lasts we we talk about billy and i talk about this every day every single day we're like how do we how do we keep moving in the direction of like really helping people yeah if we it, it, if we do not do that we might make some money but then we just aren't going to have anything at the end of the day you know, right. it's just not, you know, it's, it's not going to work. So we have to really think about that. And then, and a good start for that is being honest about the situation, admitting the, where the problems are, what are the realities, what are the rules that we're playing by? And then we can start to navigate that and we can all work together a lot easier, even if we completely disagree, because sure. we know where we yeah. stand. It's so good. The clarification is, is so important in any relationship and it's no different than in, in cryptocurrency. I don't know why people want to try to deny that. You have sure. to have clarity and, and boundaries and understand where each other stand and who's in charge of what. And uh, if we have that, we can be productive, even if, again, even if we don't agree. Um, and ordinals gave us so, a little bit of breath on that. The uh, the one thing that is like a revelation to people um, that most don't know is that the unlimited block size, uh, no, no block uh, size limit cap, Unlimited block space doesn't mean that you have unlimited block space. It means that there's a market for block space. So if there's only uh, two megabytes of transactions that need to get into the next block, then the next block is actually just two megabytes. Mm -hmm. But if there's 10 or if there's 20 or if there's a gigabyte, it can, it can go and scale to that size for the next block. So like having a block size um, market, is actually something that most people don't really know exists and it exists on BSV and it works mm -hmm. um, is really interesting. So if, if there's no demand for block space now and everything is two megabytes for the next 10 days, but then a bull run happens mm -hmm. and now there's demand for a gigabyte of block space, it can just naturally scale to that level and then scale back down when the demand goes down. And that's a really interesting um, uh, method of, the tech doing this technology and beyond that if it scales to that point where it's it's staying at you know 100 megabytes or a gigabyte or whatever it is now you have sustained revenue for miners when the um when the subsidy ends yeah yeah it's and it's a sub i'm so glad you said subsidy because uh we we went through this we had a we had multiple businesses and uh, one of them, uh, we were talking to a, another partner of ours and um, uh, we were writing, a, the halving was, ha I think it's like the last halving we were talking about it. He's calling a block reward. I said, it's not a block reward, it's a subsidy. It's just something that's temporary there to like keep it going in the system. It's designed that way, but eventually it goes away. It's not really a reward, it's a subsidy and it will go away. And without, I won't even explain what happens after it goes away, but I just encourage everyone who does listen to this. I'm assuming they know crypto and Bitcoin and that's why we're here. And that's the audience mm -hmm. really, really think about that. Think, please yeah. just like, don't just respond. Think deeply about what it means when there is no more block subsidy and a block subsidy is every block mine. There's like Bitcoins released, right? There's like new supply being released that will eventually run out or get really low over time. Have a look at that. And that subsidy goes away. 
and it's by design to go away. So it is intentional and it's intentional for a reason. And that subsidy is going to be replaced by what? If it's designed that way, then it must have, you know, be designed yeah, that so way with this intention. And we need to really think about deeply what that is. I'm not going to tell people what the answer is. I have a, I have a concept of what is going to happen. Everyone, if everyone thinks about that, we can, like, we can be a little ahead of the game because we need sure. to make Bitcoin usable for people long enough that when they come and we finally achieve that goal, that we have a good plan in place. We need to think and we need to plan about what to do. There's a, there's a really great Satoshi quote on this topic specifically where he talks about the reason why the subsidy halves every four years. And he says the reason why it halves every four years is because every four years we're going to see such an increase in demand to use the blockchain that fees will eventually replace the block reward. Um, and this is a Satoshi quote. I encourage everyone to go and look at what Satoshi says about this stuff. And he had a plan for when the block reward ends and there's a reason and like josh said there's a reason why every four years it halves and that's because every four years the demand for block space and the number of transactions on chain and the fees will yeah. start to replace and bounce so like by so now by now we're about to have to what is it three 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 one twenty five coins or whatever yeah yeah three one two five coins so by now we were supposed to have a fee market that was pretty much equal to the revenue earned from block reward yeah. um, but because satoshi left like a little bitch now we have to do a block cap <laughs> yeah we, i really we feel like he bitched out i really feel like he bitched out and i i have i harbor a lot of uh, resentment i I, I heard some rumors he's gonna sign soon but i don't know um i've never I, heard uh, satoshi be called a bitch but <laughs> yeah, satoshi deeply hurt deeply hurt will's feelings that's my lord out. dude <laughs> Don't disparage well, my Satoshi, lord. I wanted to say this Satoshi quote that related to that is that he says, you know, there's going to be t nothing or a lot of transaction volume and that and that Bitcoin doesn't really hit a ceiling. These are these are such that's I just don't Direct understand. Quotes. That's overlooked. Yeah. Bitcoin doesn't hit a ceiling. Anybody who actually cares about Bitcoin, like let's just appreciate the person that created this and their design a little bit and just acknowledge that, that was said again. We don't have to like draw a bunch of hard lines, but if we just start thinking, it, it, all of this can change as fast as people's mind can change about what needs to happen for this to be great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a CEO of Ordinal's Wallet, I'm also the CEO of Bitcoin. And I, that's what I propose is we go, we head in this direction. Yes. And, you know, it, it just, I hope well, that we do. I really do. While we're talking about this, I mean, I do, I've done a lot of deep diving on this topic. And in, during, in his emails with Mike Hearn, Satoshi specifically says, um, when Mike Herm was talking about Namecoin, he was like, we would rather have one network than many networks because we want to have one big market, one big economy on Bitcoin. And what we have now is exactly what he was talking against back yes. then. And the reason yeah. why we have it is because Bitcoin is so limited. So I'm just going to put that out there and we can move on. Uh, just to be clear, I, I think I, I speak for Iman uh, as well. With uh, we're a hundred percent aligned with you guys. I I think I think it makes sense what's happening with ordinals. That is what's going to pay the miners. I think that's significantly important. I know that by twenty one forty, when there are no fees, something needs to be able to sustain this security, right? Yeah. yeah. And that security yeah. needs to be paid by fees. And if people are just sending each other Bitcoin just to send each other Bitcoin without any other motivation. I don't think, you know, we're going to be able to cover this level of security into the future, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it just one step further. We're having fun here now. If the, the, the argument against that would be that then the fees just go up. Okay. Or everyone's going to use XYZ token system off the chain. But the, but let's just, the main argument is that, well, then the fees will go up and the, and the miners get sustained. And like, that's like your sacrifice to like keeping the system alive. You know, it's a very parasitic system. And the alternative to that is we don't, we allow the market to develop around the fees. And then yeah. instead of having like this, like very monopolized decision, top-down decision-making of the fee market, we allow these guys to compete for that with the block space. And then we as customers and our, you know, or business owners and our customers get to benefit from the cost savings of these guys competing versus like a single entity making the decision on what the fee should be. That's what they're proposing is that, well, we're just going to charge you more. And then what happens is that it's, it's very ugly. It's really the only the people at the top yeah. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we'd be able to move the money. Yeah. And they're the ones that are going to be able to capitalize off of everybody else. And it's really parasitic, really, is the word. It's not hard to play that out. That's that's like a very easy exercise to run in your mind. So, um, you know, our goal today, like talking about, we're, we're talking very freely and very honestly. Um, but it's also like, I just want to put concepts on the table versus like try to tell people what to think. Sure. You know, you play these things out. Yeah. And, and it's, Look, it makes for an interesting game. Just think about it. Good technology, you don't work for good technology. There's no reason why I should have to make sacrifices to use good technology. Good technology works for me. Sure. It helps me. It's 100%. convenient to me. And that's why I use it. For example, Amazon and whatever else. Yeah. It's like, if, it's, if it doesn't work for me, then it just isn't good technology. And if I have to work for it, it's probably not going to last very long or get a mainstream adoption in the way that we expect it to. So... Um... So I, I, you know, again, I, we totally agree. So let's go back to the, the current environment. So we have an impending bull run, you know, in 18 months or so, and there's no, I, I don't think there's a feasible chance that we're going to, you know, clear the limitations of Bitcoin with an update within the 18 months. So how, how feasible do you believe it, it to be to like clear these limitations, right? At some point. I, I think this this narrative is is accurate. I think it's true, and I think everybody will come to the same conclusion as you know all of us here on the call. But how long do you think is it going to take to make this this change? Oh, I think um, I, I have a lot. I can definitely address this. So um, first off, I'd like to uh, make it clear that the change or the up it's the word change uh, update whatever you prefer. It's simple. We don't have to unlock everything right away. Um, there's basic concepts of like we can just increase the uh, data, uh, the amount of data we can put in in like an ordinal, the size of an ordinal. Uh, we can we can just like very easily uh, double that, and it would it would help reduce the cost of that within the block, right? Sure. So that would be like a very simple step. Um, and all what that would do is it would allow the miners and the and the core developers who hold the actual code, right? It would allow these guys to first signal that they are actually are in power and they have all the power. That would be like a good signal for the market. It actually make Bitcoin more investable. It would allow it would establish a communication line between market demands with the controllers, the the government. Um, so then the government can adjust its policy based off of the market, and we can have lockstep changes to do that. And I would personally be happy to commit. My, the prime of my life to managing that process. And I can guarantee it's success. I know exactly what to do. I know how to do it. I can lead people and I know enough about 
not only Bitcoin, but actual building of technologies and the full stack across the board. Sure. So, you know, that's the the gift that God gave me. And that's what I do every day with, with, with my team. Um, and I can tell you right now, it's not that complicated. It's, there's a very simple process to this. Um, and a bigger part of the actual code change is establishing the communication and a cadence, like a movement. What happened is this yeah. factory got shut down after some time and we need to like re-oil all everything and just start to get the change moving. And once we do that, we will be able to actually make real changes that start to add up and really compound to actually make the system better, to make the fees lower, this, this, and that, any technical, it's all technical detail after that. I, for me, I'm looking at businesses, software, doesn't matter if it's a farm. I'm, I look at everything I look at, I'm abstracting it to how we can like make it the most productive, serve us the most, give us the best quality of life, the best outcome possible. And oftentimes it's really, really simple. And more times than not, it's about communication and very clear uh, responsibilities mm -hmm. and who's in control of what. Defining that will go a very long way with BTC. Right now, if you want to go tweet, if you want to do a little experiment, anybody watching, you guys should try a block, block runner, go tweet. You know, who owns Bitcoin? Who is in control of Bitcoin? You're going to get a lot of answers. Um, it's going to be really fun for you. You're going to get answers like no one, Satoshi, but he left. You're going to get uh, Bitcoin Core. You're going to get, no, you know, uh, you are, we are all yeah. Satoshi. We are all owners of Bitcoin. You're going to get five, 10 different answers. That is a problem. Okay. How can you ever run a family, a business, a community? a society, a world where no one actually knows who's in charge of what. There's no actual like responsibility being taken. I, I, I personally would be willing to take all of that responsibility. Should I give the, be given the opportunity, you know, and I completely, I think it's all completely blown out of proportion. It's a very fixable problem. It's a pretty simple problem. And anyone who tells you otherwise is I'm not sure what they're doing. You guys, you guys make your own decisions, right? I don't want to make accusations. I'll just tell you that I know what I know. And I, I'm confident in what, what I have over here. Um, and I can tell you that the problem is not as complicated as we've been told. So Josh, are you saying that um, this is bigger than just submitting a pull request on Bitcoin Core? Oh, absolutely. It's about, it's, it's about cleaning house. It's about saying, okay, you know, like okay. what's the classic phrase? What is it? Uh, the, the clean the swamp or drain the swamp. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's like it, we, and you know, the funny part about all this is we don't have to even get rid of anybody. What we need, again, I just want to say one more time is we need the people there to be very transparent about what they have control over. Yeah. And once we understand that we can make solutions and make a plan and we'll, everything can work out from there. That's step one. Um, we can figure out who's the best person in, in those roles or and whatnot after we've defined who's responsible for what, because then we can start to pass those, those shortcomings and certain things in the system to those people responsible for them. And then we start to create that feedback loop. That's going to start to really, you know, things come kind of naturally after that. Okay. That's how the world works. That's how humans work. Right. People want, people want to do good. Um, and as soon as we have a, a feedback loop that shows that things aren't going good and that the person that's supposed to make them good, isn't willing to make them good, yeah. things will change. All right. Do you guys have 10 more minutes? We have one, one question that we kind of want to go we got, through. We got 10 more minutes. Okay. So maybe 11. <laughs> what, what, uh, what happened with runes? Like what, what was your perspective with everything that happened with runes? 
What do you think, Randy? Yeah, I, I knew this one was coming. Uh, this is the big one that everyone's going to want to hear about. Yeah. Um, well, what happened with Runes was Casey came out with a protocol spec in a blog post, um, and there were a million ways that you could implement uh, this protocol spec. We came out with our own. Um, and a lot of people said it wasn't right, uh, but there was nobody really to say whether it was right or wrong because there were many different ways that you could build this thing. And the ultimate answer for who's right and who's wrong is whether or not it's practical and whether or not it's usable. And ours was. So from our consideration, it was right. Uh, what happened was there was no consensus on the right protocol spec. We, we came out with a way to uh, mint these tokens, these runes tokens. Um, and then immediately after we launched our product, Casey basically came out and said, he's going to come out with a better way mm. to implement the runes protocol and that he would invalidate anything that um, came before his. Um, and so ultimately we were, we were pushed back by red tape and, and I think politics, people don't like us in the space. Um, and yeah, why, why, I mean, why I wouldn't think even say, you know, I wouldn't even say people don't like us. Uh, we have a lot of customers and a lot of happy people. It's uh, um, the the Ord or developer developers. I think there's like two or three, and I've met some of them myself. They're very uncomfortable with the fact that we are taking what we believe is a good implementation and developing it as fast as possible. You know, or we are very uncomfortable with us having our own opinions outside of how um, you know tokens and NFTs and, and things can work on Bitcoin. And um, that's totally their right to have that, I think. It's, well, it, why but it why just, are they uncomfortable it, it with it? I, I think because we are generally taking our own ideas and bringing them to life. And really the only power that um, a government or core development group in, in Bitcoin has is to be the ultimate, like first to say how it goes and, and the last to say how it ends. Like okay. they, that's the only real like power that they ultimately have because groups like ours, you know, our organization, we're focused on um, providing services as best as possible, the most uptime as possible, as fast as possible. Um, we took a huge risk with Rune. Um, we like Rune. Rune is great. Just to be clear, we did that because we believe in it. We went for Rune. We launched that in 24 hours or whatever. Yeah. And um, you know, we were we were the first and only in the market with a mentor, and people were using that. And and um, that we talked about it as we did that. Um, and and said, hey, you know, well, there's a big risk here. We could be doing everything wrong. Uh, according to like what they, the org core owner, the ordinal core code owners don't like. Um, and even if they do like it, they are generally signaling that they will just change their mind based off of reasons um, to make sure that whatever we did first is sort of like devalued. Sure. So we took a huge risk with that. You know, we stuck our neck necks out there big time. Um, and I, a lot of people seem to understand that. Some didn't. Um, like that was a huge risk for us because our value as Ordinals Wallet is being the, the best possible service provider around Ordinals and things. So we have this system here where we have to be very smart about how we decide to like put what products and services we offer, what do we charge, 
there's so much to so many decisions to make around the Ordinal's wallet brand, you know, and we took a, we took the risk with that one. We know what the risk is. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, it's hard to say we got it wrong, but we got rubbed. Um, mm. you know, they came out and and said something different than what we were doing and that invalidated that. So Josh, can um, you, can you explain um why not continue with your implementation of runes? Why why does it need to be recognized by the org? Well, you can you can still um you could still mint this implementation, um, but ultimately we're trying to be in harmony with the most amount of people. Um, gotcha. That's okay. that's um, it's not just a business decision. It's like that's like part of like how we operate is we want to grow. We're, we want to this all of this to grow. The business, Bitcoin, ordinals, our customer base, NFTs, um, tokens. Um, trading, uh, really, what 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 are we really talking about? Communication and commerce. You know, that's what we we want to build businesses that facilitate that at a new scale and new ways people never thought were possible. So we're trying to play as nicely as possible to get the most amount yeah, of people I, I, to have the advantage of using Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I really was thinking it could go one of two ways. If we continue with our implementation, and we we would have built it out by now, you would have it in your wallet and whatever else. Um, but what you would have ended up seeing if we went full on with our implementation is you would end up seeing six, you'd probably have four implementations that were different, mm -hmm. runes implementations that were different by now. Yeah, um, and ultimately, ultimately, that would just fraction, fractionalize the market and it might kill runes altogether. So rather than have this convoluted, uh, complicated and confusing system where there's multiple implementations of runes, we're constantly dealing with customer support because people don't understand why it works on our website, but not somebody else's website. Sure. And all of these things that come from us going full steam ahead with whatever we think is the right thing to do now. Um, rather than that, we would rather have a unified under, um, understanding of runes, a healthy seed that could potentially grow into a big, beautiful tree rather than little tiny plants um, all over the farm. And so that was kind of the one reason why we said, okay, we're not going to go and, and, and fight this. Um, but the other reason was Casey's next blog post that came out um, more recently, uh, Harry looked at and said that we have a good chance at having backwards compatibility with mm. the runes tokens that were minted on our website. So now we can still use the unified runes implementation, um, but still secure the runes mints and tokens that are our customers minted. Mm -hmm. um, and whether or not like that's recognized on other websites is up to other business owners, but we can probably still um, provide that service for our customers So on the KC implementation. So when you guys were developing your rune implementation, roughly you guys completed it 20 hours after that blog post. Did, were you guys under the assumption that Casey wouldn't further develop the rune concept on his own. Like it would be up left to the community. Um, yeah. I mean, he had already, he had already said that he wasn't really sure if he was even going to build yeah, it. That's sort of the catch of all of this, like yeah. this propaganda rhetoric machine that's going on with the core development. And Bitcoin is like, there's always like, Oh, I might, or I might not. And it always gives them an out on the, it's all about responsibility. No one wants to really, you know, everyone's passing the buck around. They don't want to actually say, I'm going to do this. This is how it should be done. And then we can really like buy into that. There's no opportunity to do that. It's a, it's a very toxic relationship that way. I see. Um, but I, I, I was, I would say, uh, 
my honest, just purely my perspective was that it would be like us and two or three other people, which is popped up really quick in Indexer, that would just be working on this and we would get the ground level going. You know, it'd be like some basic spec that we agreed on this and this, this and that, you know, this encoding, this, this code should be like this. And this is how the token should be set up. Yeah. And we would kind of get the ball rolling. And then everyone kind of would pile in on that. We were really open for that um, because that would be so efficient. We would already be, you know, a week into this rune token development. We would already have tons of trading and action going on to like, let us know if this is actually working and it, as it said, it's supposed to. Um, so we, we missed a lot of knowledge gain from letting that just run um, in terms of like the bigger ecosystem, like everybody involved here. Sure. Um, but ultimately we don't want to segment this very, we have to be conscious. It's very small and fragile and we got a good thing going for us. We don't want to segment that. Um, so we set our, our pride and ego aside and say, we got to try to do, we got to balance here and, and say like, what is worth fighting for? What is not? What ultimately um, gives us the best outcome for the entire like system here, uh, Bitcoin ordinals and our business. Um, so, you know, we're trying but to yeah, we're just the, do our best. The decision to go forward with our own implementation in the first place was the same uh, reason why we got into ordinals in the first. It was mm -hmm. a fun, new experiment, unproven, new technology. Everything is exciting when there's when there's a, the race to be the first guys to do it. And if you are the first guys to do it, you get that accolade, you get all the interest and, and attention to your business, which is ultimately what we're trying to do um, as brand makers and entrepreneurs and marketers. Um, so yeah, the decision to move forward was really the easiest one. It's like, yeah, let's do, let's do our, our implementation. Let's be the first to come out with it. And then everybody will just kind of pile onto ours. And when that didn't work out because there were um, decisions made by other people, um, ultimately we had to take a step back and say, "Hey, let's just let Casey build this thing." Um, yeah. And uh, when we'll do our best to to be backwards compatible with the people who spent money on our on our implementation. All right. Final question. Uh, this is another technical one. Unless Iron Man, you got you got one. I really wanted to get a little bit of insight into. Uh, I guess the situation developing outside of runes and more specifically, I guess the industry kind of forming around BRC twenties with Alex yeah. labs yeah. and this whole Oracle network of indexers is starting to form, you know, there's a lot of big players, I guess, are integrating into this new model, this new system. And obviously it's not developed fully yet, but I'm wondering what your, your opinion on like, um, I don't know. It just it, it it seems like, uh, the narrative around it, it was, is it, they tried their hardest to make this seem as like, a like we're heading towards the direction of, of like a decentralized solution for all this. Obviously, it's to improve efficiencies and whatnot. You're basically saying there are some people on the inside and some people on the outside. Yeah, it's kind of like typically what we see we've seen already happen in the past. Like you know, anytime some new technology merges, whether yeah. it's NFTs, like an industry of insiders, they kind of like you know form around these things and right. then they push these narratives out, and they they basically control the market from that point forward. Right. Right. So, do you see that happening, like uh, with the BRC twenty? I guess, uh, organization that is emerging. I'll comment on that. I would say that the, the way that it's implemented, it, it's like trending towards like a centralized exchange like system, mm. because it's like, it's sort of like this off more off chain solution. That's why that was, that's why it's interesting to do rune. Mm -hmm. Um, I will also say that I have a tweet out there 
you guys can dig up. Um, but uh, I was addressing the inscription number drama. And I said, basically, I think it's blown out of proportion. Um, it's sort of like a control freak, like micromanaging scenario and by the ord for owners. And the um, and I ultimately read between the lines of that. Now, I, I can't I'm not going to go as far as tell you why I how I got this assumption or conclusion. But it seems that before we ever talked about Rune, they were already setting the market up for they don't want to do BRC20 anymore. And my prediction was that they would do this tap root token, lightning token protocol. Um, and it seems like now Rune's kind of been taking that place. But that's we go all the way to like the middle of this podcast. It's like we're going to do BRC20, we're going to do Rune, then we're going to go to the Taproot or Lightning-based token, whatever whatever they call it, Lightning tokens, mm -hmm. and then we're going to go back to Bitcoin. That's sort of what's going to happen here. That's the rolling phase, and I'm catching it through the way these behaviors are giving me all the hints I need to, to kind of base that timeline as, as I just discussed. So I think that BRC20 did the job that it needed to do to get people interested interested in this concept. I think it's going to be around. I think there's a lot of power behind it already. Um, if it's just the thing that people want to use, it's the thing people want to use. Mm -hmm. we're, we're ready for that. We're totally so prepared I, for that. I really like Domo. Um, and I think that I trust his decision-making around the BRC20 stuff. He's very responsive to me whenever I have uh, questions or, or comments or on, on things that he's working on. Um, so I'm totally cool with this BRC20 uh, cabal. Actually, I think running the BRC20 indexer is a massive undertaking for our business and it's a big pain in our ass and it takes our website down and it's a big mess. Mm -hmm. So now that we have an open source implementation of this, we can look at it, we can audit it, we can say, okay, this is good. Um, and then we don't have to manage it and keep, keep it up. And, and there's costs associated with that, both in terms of our time, uh, but also like server costs and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm down with the, I'm down with the BRC 20 cabal <laughs> Let's do it, dude. A, little bit. <laughs> a little bit. All right. Um, so Randy and Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I don't want to take any more of your time. You've definitely shed some light in in a lot of things, like the perspective of Bitcoin, building on Bitcoin, staying on the main chain, not going off, you know, any secondary, third, or quaternary chains that they're they're going to manifest as as the marketing, you know, uh, marketing will kind of allude to. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, again, I really appreciate any final thoughts from you guys, any impending release, um, anything you guys want our community to kind of uh, look forward to as far as Ordinals Wallet goes to. Yeah, we just launched our mobile app. So you can, it's a progressive web app. You can add to your home screen and you're going to get notifications when you get sales on Ordinal's wallet. Mm. Um, and the impending release that goes hand in hand with notifications is offers, which we're really excited about. So we're going to, we're going to jump on runes as soon as that's available to us. But right now we're getting back into the lab. We're, we're just hitting the roadmap hard again. PWA is out right now. You can you can put the app on your home screen on your iPhone. You can get notifications. That's all live. Um, and the next thing is offers. Josh, you got anything? Mm -hmm. I think there's some stuff behind the scenes. We have some general like system efficiencies that still need addressed, but nothing that's really fun like what Randy's talking about. Um, and you know, overall, I think anybody watching this just 
you know, having the opportunity to be able to like do this on Bitcoin means a lot to us. And I think like us, sometimes we don't actually put that message out there. Um, so we appreciate all of our customers and the opportunity that comes with this. And we love Bitcoin and we hope that Bitcoin succeeds. We think that it really can help make things better in the world. That's really the message like that kind of overarches all the business and product and memes and shit talking and whatever it is that we do every day. Um, you know, we want, we've invested the prime of our lives in Bitcoin and Bitcoin related things. And that's where we're at right now. So we, we really hope for the best in terms of like the protocol development, um, Bitcoin itself, the ordinals, runes. We don't care so much about the politics. We're really trying to like move this thing forward. So if any Ord core people are watching, we want to be friends and, and work with you and try to push this forward together. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just want to say this one Henry Ford quote because I've just been reading this book. Um, and he talks about how the value of his employees are – they're valued only to the extent that they feel that they can do things better in the business. So like how, it, like the um, the influence of wanting to improve the business and that and the fact that the business can always be improved is something that he instills in all of his employees and everyone who works – in this massive company. And I think that that philosophy needs to come over to Bitcoin because people take this as a threat, the way that we speak openly and honestly about how we think Bitcoin can improve. But I think the idea that it, everything can always be improving uh, is a beautiful thing. And I think it's more, it's something that people should embrace more in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Which, which book is that? Which book is that, Randy? Uh, I think it's today and tomorrow. Today and tomorrow. My life and work, I believe. But it's either right. one of them. My life and work. Okay. My life yeah. and work is the one. All right. I'm going to check That's it out. One. I'm going to check it out. All right, guys. I appreciate it. Um, one, one thing I want to say, um, also, I appreciate the fact that you guys are supporting Bitmap. Uh, we didn't get to talk about that. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, we come from the metaverse side. And Bitmap to us is a big deal for lots of reasons. But we'll have to get into that like in a different call that way we can kind of explain you know the whole we love Bitmap. metaverse side things it's, but, it's probably the coolest thing that's happened in, in recent history on bitcoin so thank yeah. you we're totally behind that yes appreciate that yeah all right guys i appreciate it um all the links will be in the description congratulations on the new application that you guys are releasing um yeah uh, without that i mean i appreciate you guys and we will catch you in the next podcast peace thank you thanks for having us boys Thank you for listening to the Blockrunner podcast. Make sure you visit our website, theblockrunner.com, and sign up to stay up to date on the latest in crypto. Also, reach out to us on Twitter at theblockrunner.